This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning, and thanks for joining me, Kathy Buckworth, for episode number 43 of Go To Grandma. Did you grow up going to summer camp? I didn't, but my husband and then subsequently all four of my children did. The real camp, the sleep away for weeks at a time camp, where there was canoeing and swimming and hiking and crafting and where every meal tasted like the best food ever because you were so darn hungry from all of that fresh air and exercise. Of late, not entirely due to COVID, but certainly not helping with it, parents have become more reticent to send their kids to sleep away camp. Often, it's the grandparents who provide a little bit of guidance, mental or financial, to help get over the hurdles that parents believe are there when it comes to sending their precious cargo away from them for more than a day. And sending them away without being in constant smartphone communication? Gasp. Today, we'll talk to Camp Director Ann Morowitz from Camp Panaka about the very important role she thinks grandparents can play in getting their kids to let their kids have the same camp experience they might have had. The practical skills and independence learned through summer camp is something they will take with them their whole lives. Summer camp invokes feelings of fun, friends, and fantastic memories. But sometimes camp is even more than that. I'm talking with Campfire Circle today, formerly known as Camp Ooch and Camp Trillium. This is a camp specifically for kids and their families where the kids are dealing with cancer. Grandparents are often part of the support team of this fully funded camp experience, and I'm going to chat with someone not only from the camp, but also a volunteer grandmother. Our Take 5 with RBC series gets into the risks of financial abuse. What is it and how can we avoid it? We've worked hard for the money we need for the future. An important discussion with RBC advisor Elaine Blades. But what's really important right now is getting that cup of coffee or tea, sitting or standing, or walking comfortably, and being prepared for yet another fun and factual episode of Go To Grandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and our camp special starts right after this short break. Since 1985, Anne and her husband, Don Bocking, have been the directors of Camp Panaka, a private summer boys' camp started by her parents in 1947. They live near Peterborough, which is about an hour south of Baptiste Lake, where Panaka is located. Don and Anne actually met at Panaka in 1976 when they were both on staff. Now they work with their daughter, Laura, the next generation to run Panaka. Their two sons are also actively involved behind the scenes. In their earlier life, before full-time camp, Anne was a public health nurse and Don was a social worker, both of them working in London, Ontario. Panaka has been a huge part of Anne's entire life and is a place of joy, laughter and friendship. Her father, the founder, called Panaka a happiness factory. Good morning, Anne Morowitz. Thanks so much for joining the show today. Good morning. Nice to be here. And I'm going to give full disclosure here so you know my husband went to Camp Panaka, was a counselor there as well, and my two sons have both been through <laughs> Panaka as well. It's a terrific boys' camp. I'm a little biased, of course, but I really felt that summer camp was important for my kids. And I wonder if you could tell our listeners why you feel that overnight summer camp is so important for kids. 
Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that. I'm going to start by saying if you ever ask an adult who ever attended summer camp uh, about their experiences, they will usually tell you the most vivid memories of camp, even though it was like decades earlier. And the reason for that, I think, is that camp is actually a life-changing experience for children. And the benefits of camp have not changed. The world has changed, and I actually don't think kids have changed that much. But um, camp is one of the places where kids have a a place to go and to grow, and uh, it really is a a timeless opportunity for kids. I agree, and I I agree with what you're saying in terms of the world has changed so much, which is part of the reason I loved sending my my own boys there, and hopefully one day my grandsons as well, is because there's no phones, there's no technology, so they can really get back to being kids and being at camp. That's right. And, you know, my mom and dad who started Panaka, my dad was a, a PhD in philosophy, and, and so he was a thinker as well as a doer. And he had some very clear ideas of what, what kind of benefit camp gave kids. And it's in our literature, and we haven't changed his words in, you know, 60 years. But um, what he says was that that. Children learn best at camp how to fit into a group. They learn how to live away from home. They learn how to take care of themselves and how to take care of their belongings, how they have to make sure that they bring their shoes in at night so it doesn't rain. They have to learn how to make their own decisions. And then they learn from having made their own decisions the consequences of those decisions. And they learn to really face the world at large without their parents. And that's not to mention, you know, all the fun, all the lasting friendships that kids have and all the skills that they learn. So there are so many things, even things like food. We have kids who come and the parents say they're picky eaters and then they come to camp and they watch their buddy beside them eating lasagna and they think, oh, okay, I can try that. And they do (laughs) and they love it. So, so many things that, that kids learn at camp. I can certainly attest to all of that in terms of, you know, personal responsibility. My boys certainly came back with that. And the food, you're right. And my son, Nick, whom you know quite well, came back saying the best food he's ever eaten was at camp. And that's partly because it's great food, but partly because they do so much, right? They're outdoors all the time. They're on horses. They're canoeing. They're swimming. They're sailing. So that, of course, all those great experiences, you're right. They take it with them forever. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing that kids learn at camp is it's a, you know, a term that, that people use is self-regulation. And what that means is that, that because the child is making all his own decisions, not just about what he's going to do in a particular day or where he's going to go or even who he's going to do it with, but he has to learn how to manage his own feelings. He has to learn how to manage his frustrations, his sadness, his happiness, his exuberance, all all of the feelings that a child has, you know, he, he starts to get insight into his own behaviors and his own feelings and maybe why he has them. And the counselors, the older guys who take care of them, help them with that. They have to learn how to be patient and kind and empathetic and, you know, all these skills because they live together for either two or four weeks together. So they really get to know each other. Um, and, uh, the, you know, everyone's pretty transparent about who they are after they've lived together for for two or four weeks. That's for sure. And your camp is specific to boys. There are some great uh, girls' camps as well. My daughter went to Mayaconda. There's some other terrific ones, not just in Ontario, but all over. You know, as we're looking at the different camps and we're evaluating, what role do you think that grandparents can play in making camp a reality? 
Well, I think grandparents can play a huge role. And it's interesting when I was reflecting on preparing these questions, and I was thinking about grandparents in previous generations and how I think in, in the past there were grandparents were essentially hands-off. Like you, they came maybe for Sunday dinner and you maybe visited grandma and grandpa over the holidays, but they didn't play an active role in the lives of their grandchildren, which I think they do for a large part much more now, which means that grandparents actually have a lot more influence on both their children and their grandchildren because of the close connections they have. And I actually think it's it's a wonderful change that children have this support from both parents and grandparents in their lives when they're young. And grandparents, as you know, are the people who love the child unconditionally, <laughs> who don't have the responsibility, the daily grind of taking care of kids. And so they have a different different perspective on the children than than their parents do. And often we find that parents not only pay for camp because they value it, but they also encourage the parents to send their kids to camp because many parents these days feel like they are going to miss their kids mm-hmm. if their kids are away for two weeks or four weeks, which we always say to the parents who say that, listen, camp is not about you. Camp <laughs> is about your kid. Exactly. But the reality is that often parents will say that, whereas a grandparent can say to their child who is anxious or worried about sending their kid away, remember when I sent you somewhere or remember when you right. did that and you came back and you were so happy that you had had that independent experience. And so parents can be supportive both emotionally and also financially. And we have many, many parents who say, I could not send my kid to camp if my parents weren't helping me. And the other thing that's so great is grandparents come on visitor's day Mm -hmm. with the parents and they bring a picnic and they have a visit at camp. And for us to see that intergenerational connection for kids is really a wonderful thing to see. And, And grandparents are really an integral part of of we see making camp a reality for kids. And I know that you are a grandma yourself, and your handle is Oma, I believe, your grandma yep, handle. And how many right. grandkids do you have, Anne? I am a what you call a pandemic grandparent. Me too. I had my first grandchild in 2019, and then one in 2020, and then one in 2021. <laughs> So it's Fantastic. been an interesting journey with the pandemic and becoming a grandparent, but yeah. it's, as everyone says, it's amazing. It really is. And if we want to find out more about your amazing camp, we can go to panaka.com, and that is P-O-N-A-C-K-A.com, and we can find you on Instagram and Facebook as well. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on this with me today, Anne. Listen, it was my pleasure. Take- Thank you so much for asking. Take, Take care. Take care. Marilyn Warham is a mother of three, grandmother of four, and a fundraising expert who has been leading an incredible event called the Norwood Curl for Kids in support of Campfire Circle, formerly Camp Ooch and Camp Trillium. Joining Marilyn and me this morning is also Karen Donaldson, who is the Director of Corporate and Community Partnerships at Campfire Circle. Karen, before I talk to Marilyn about her experience as a grandma and the camp, can you give us a quick overview of what Campfire Circle is all about? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Campfire Circle is a privately funded charity uh, that provides year-round programs and support for kids with cancer and their families. Uh, We do that in the hospitals, um, out in the community, and at our two overnight camp facilities, one in uh, Waterford uh, called Rainbow Lake and one up in Muskoka. 
That's terrific and such a great thing for families to be able to come together. And so, Marilyn, I'm going to turn to you now and say, how did you first get involved with Campfire Circle? I was asked to a meeting supporting Camp Uchigias, which it was called mm-hmm. at that time, which is now Campfire Circle. Another lady in our town also had lost her five-year-old daughter to cancer about the same time. They used our daughter's passing to promote the camp by having a curling bond spiel to raise the funds. This is how Sharon got us involved with this wonderful place. About two years after she held the event, she resigned to be free to travel with her husband during their retirement. The other family who lost their daughter did not want to be involved for personal reasons. Sharon asked for someone to take it over and run the curling event. I thought, we're just getting this thing going. It's my daughter's name on it. I can't let it stop here. Right. I must say, I honestly took it over to keep my daughter's memory alive and raise money for a great cause. It gave me a meaningful purpose to put one foot ahead of the other. I found it very comforting as I went through the grieving process. Now that so many years have gone by, it's just what I do. What has kept you motivated to keep the event going over all these years, uh, Marilyn? Well, my daughter, Tammy, who passed away in 1989, age 19, has been the inspiration for my commitment to Campfire Circle. When she was ill battling leukemia, she was an inspiration to many. Many patients told me at the hospital she was trying to support them and cheer them up. Tammy never complained or said, why me? When her sisters, Penny, age 14, and Jennifer, age 7, came to the hospital, she had them on her bed cuddling and bossing them around. Isn't that what a big sister usually does? <laughs> I did have a year I considered letting someone else take over the event. It was probably around oh, year 25. Wow. Let me tell you, I found out quickly that wasn't going to happen. I had a friend from Sault Ste. Marie who brought her daughter to sick kids in Toronto for back surgery. I told her I would meet her in Toronto and sit with her on the day of Samantha's operation. I knew that Camp Uchigias had programs for kids directly in sick kids. Good chance to see what they were going to do at the hospital. Betty's, Becky's operation took many hours. I told Lois I would be back after I found the camp. I wandered the halls looking for the clinic. Suddenly, a clown appeared in the hallway. I asked him, do you know where the clinic is? What a sight when I found it. Parents and kids everywhere waiting to have their appointments. Some had hair, some wore turbans. Others were bald from the chemotherapy. Over to the side, I see a table with kids and an instructor doing crafts. While they waited for their appointments, I went over to the table, asked the man if this was Camp Booch. Yes, he replied. I explained about the curling bonds bill we run to support the camp. A young girl pushed closer to me. She asked, do you know Camp Booch? Her eyes told her yes. Her eyes grew so big. I told her I'd been to the camp. You've been to the camp, she screamed. She went wild with joy. She screamed. She jumped up and down and yelled to me that she was going to camp this summer. That was it. I was hooked, even more committed to the cause. The joy and hope and happiness of that little girl burned into my memory. It was very inspirational. Wow, that's an amazing story and just sort of a testament to what the camp can do for those kids and their families. Personally, Marilyn, what is your favorite part about the Norwood Curl for Kids fundraising event? You're going to laugh. Okay. You're going to laugh. <laughs> the answer is when they say they'll see me again next year. Oh, I, yeah. After And how many years have you been doing this? Oh, my gosh. Well, I think I think it started at 91. Oh, wow. 1991. 
And I just want to say, like, we have very dedicated and supportive group of curlers and businesses who do support us year after year. During the past couple of years, we couldn't run the event. So I decided to contact them anyway, and they did. They all donated, and we were able to send to the camp just like the event had taken place. That's incredible. Karen, what does it mean to Campfire Circle to have people like Marilyn in your corner when you're running this fantastic uh, organization? Oh, it means so much to us, especially someone like Marilyn and her family and their whole community uh, that participates in the Norwood Curl for Kids that keep coming back year over year over year. Uh, Campfire Circle doesn't receive any um, funding from the government or the hospital, so we rely completely on the generosity and care of donors and fundraisers just like Marilyn and to have people who are so committed as Marilyn said always saying we'll see you next year is just allows us to continue to plan and to grow our programs and do everything that we can to support uh, the kids and families who need it most. And if anyone wants to find out more information about Campfire Circle in terms of either being a donor, helping with volunteer time, I know you have a lot of volunteers in your office and at the camps helping out as well as maybe they know a family who could really do with something like this in their lives, they should go to campfirecircle.org, correct? That's exactly right. Okay, great. And after, I guess, a couple of years of not being able to run it this year's program, it will be especially meaningful. Yes, absolutely. After a couple of years of doing our programs, mostly virtually um, and somewhat in the hospital um, in person, we are back to a full uh, overnight camp and day camp this summer. And we are so, so excited. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Marilyn. I loved hearing your personal experience and Karen also for your time. Full disclosure, my 23-year-old actually works at Campfire Circle doing their graphic design. And it was, and we discovered that actually about eight years ago, I had participated in the Sporting Life 10K, which just took place again. And so I've been involved with it for a few years myself without even knowing that one day it would all come together like this. So thank you so much, <laughs> um, ladies, for being on the program. Really appreciate your time this morning. Can I mention something? Of course. I didn't do this long. I have a husband and two girls that do a lot of work, and I don't know if you probably have made the connection at Campfire that the Bill Muir tournament, that my daughters send funds in from that, too. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a golf tournament. They have uh, gone and put together, and they've run that for a few years since my uh, dad passed away. So I don't do it alone. I have a lot of my husband and their my kids and their families help. So I'm very fortunate that way. The whole family. I was just shocked when I was asked to do this and I really appreciate it and thank you very much. Oh but we appreciate it also and I know I know that Campfire Circle does as well. Thank you so much for your time and good luck with the summer. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Elaine Blades is a senior manager for the professional practice group at RBC Royal Trust. She is a principal resource for technical and legal expertise for trust and estate matters. Elaine began her legal career in private practice and has worked in the financial services industry for more than three decades. She has been involved in many estate and trust educational and training initiatives, including working as an instructor at Seneca College's Law Clerks Program and teaching at the Law Society of Ontario's Bar Admission Course. Elaine is presently chair of STEP, Canada's Education Committee, a primary provider of trust and estate education. Good morning, Elaine. Thanks for joining us. With June 15th being World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, what 
better time to touch on an important topic that impacts Canadians. Elaine, what is financial elder abuse and how widespread is it? Well, hi, Kathy. Financial elder abuse is it's one type of elder abuse. It's the family members, caregivers, friends, or even strangers taking advantage of an elderly person's finance. It can take many forms. From the seemingly innocent, like an adult child, say, charging their groceries to their parents' credit card, or moving back home without contributing financially, to the more deliberate actions, such as a new friend trying to get included in a will, or stealing someone's personal property. Unfortunately, elder financial abuse is quite widespread. According to the Government of Canada, about 45% of elderly Canadians experience some form of abuse after age 65, financial abuse being the most common form of elder abuse. Jeez. Within the estates and trusts industry, you deal with families and sometimes complex family dynamics due to the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. From your experience, what are some signs of financial elder abuse you and your colleagues look for? Well, unfortunately, the list is pretty long. Unusual banking activity can be a red flag. So banking activities tend to follow pretty normal patterns. And so a sudden change, such as an unexplained increase in the number or quantum of withdrawal, could hint at something being amiss. A new companion coming to meetings with the client's advisor could suggest something else is happening. Transferring property or bank account ownership should be seen as a major red flag as well. There have been cases where an elderly person has been convinced either to sign over the entire title to their house or perhaps to make it joint with an abuser. This may provide access to the property or account right now and also the potential for the abuser to receive the entire interest on the elderly person's death. Missing valuable, this is also one of the more common signs and sometimes clients may mention this to their advisor. Changes to a will or power of attorney, particularly when the change is to someone who is not close to the client, could also be a sign that they're being taken advantage of or unduly influenced. All of these signs point to the importance of knowing your client. So what can elderly Canadians and their family members do to help protect themselves or their loved ones against financial elder abuse? Well, exercising a good dose of skepticism is an important starting point. So that is, Ask questions and don't be too trusting when someone is asking for money or information from you, whether in person, over the phone, or online. Banks and other reputable companies frequently remind us that they never request personal or financial information, you know, such as a bank account number or your social insurance number, over the phone or by email. Be aware of what are often termed phishing emails. Providing the name of a key contact to your financial advisor is important, and many of our listeners may recently have been asked to do so. A trusted contact person is someone you authorize your financial advisor to contact in certain limited circumstances. So this allows your financial advisor to know who you trust and who they may contact if they're concerned your well-being in certain specific situations including, for instance, when they're unable to get in touch with you or if they have concern that you are vulnerable and being financially exploited. 
Having a network of professionals, such as a financial advisor, accountant, or lawyer, can also provide a level of protection for seniors. They can be a first point of contact for seniors or their family members who are concerned about potential abuse. It can also be just another set of eyes who may notice strange transactions. Preparing powers of attorney for both property and personal care is very important, as this allows you to appoint the person of your choice to act in respect of your finances or personal care in the event you become incapable of doing so yourself. Because a significant amount of elder financial abuse is actually committed by attorneys for property, it is crucial to ensure that the appointed attorney is first and foremost honest and trustworthy, someone you trust to act always in your best interest. So whether it's a family member, friend, or lawyer, the attorney should also be reliable stable financially, and preferably live close by. Trust companies may also be appointed to the role of attorney for property, but they may not act in respect to personal care. So lastly, it's important to remember that the more isolated a person is, the more likely they can be victimized. So having someone close by to make checks, whether it's a trusted family member, a close friend or neighbor, or a trusted professional, can be a great first line of defense against any fraudulent activities to come. Thank you so much for that information, Elaine. That was a great Take 5 with RBC's series segment. And if we want more information, of course, we can go to rbc.com slash royal trust. Thanks again for your time. You're welcome. All camps are hard. That's what they're intended to be. They make you focus when you're tired, when you don't feel like doing things, and to see how long you can retain and pay attention. Michael Strahan said that. Retention and attention may be two things kids today are struggling with in our scrolling social media world. I would actually like to petition for a grandma camp, one that involves glamping, of course, but might also include courses on successfully sneaking cookies to the grandkids, getting them to say your name first, and how to stop ourselves from saying, well, you turned out fine. I'd like to thank both of my camp guests for their insight and information on how grandparents can be an integral part of trying to organize a terrific summer for their grandkids. I can't wait for my grandsons to be old enough to hopefully go to Camp Panaka, making it the third generation in our family to do so. Next week, it's a bit of an author's festival, something you know an avid reader like me is going to love. Rona Maynard tells us about her book, My Mother's Daughter, and she shares what it was like to have her own mother tell her she was a bad mother due to her hardworking habits. A frank and open discussion I can't wait to have. Canadian bestselling author Lyndon McIntyre is also on the show to talk about his career, but also The Wake, a true-life harrowing tale of a tidal wave that happened in Newfoundland. I listened to this audiobook on Kobo Originals and kept extending my walks so I didn't have to stop listening to the book. Can't wait to delve into this and to hear about Lyndon's grandkids as well. Thanks for dropping in this week. You know I truly appreciate it, and I can't wait to talk with you again next week. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.